And ladies and gentlemen, he's one of the all-time greats, my buddy, Mr. John Wayne. You're listening to the John Wayne Gritcast with me, Ethan Wayne. The hell I was. We're talking all about the life and legacy of my father. John Wayne. Mr. John Wayne. John Wayne is the United States of America. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. Hello, everybody. This week we have Tom Saftik. Now, Tom is the son of my dad's very, very good friend, Ernie Saftik, who was a PT boat captain in World War II in the South Pacific. My father met him in the South Pacific, and they spent uh, quite a bit of time together on that trip and uh, were friends ever since. Ernie was there when my father met my mother and really throughout the rest of my father's life. So hope you enjoy the episode. Where should we start? I guess you and I go back to 1962. That's when I started, right? Yeah. Uh, your dad and my dad, I think, met during World War II. Right. In the Pacific? Right. Yeah, my dad had been at Pearl Harbor when the Japanese attacked, and then shortly thereafter he got transferred to New Guinea, and he was on a PT boat and spent three and a half years there. And sometime during that time, um, your dad was on the tour where they were going around and visiting all the different uh, bases. And he happened to go to New Guinea and was planning on, it was just one of those overnight or just one day stop, but they were under attack for like three days or four days. So your dad had to stay over, so he and my dad and I guess several other of the servicemen got to know each other. And uh, so then at the end of the war, when your dad was going to make, they were expendable, he needed a technical advisor and somebody that knew about PT boats. And he goes, oh, I remember that guy in uh, New Guinea. And he looked my dad up. And, uh, and so my dad went to Florida when they made, they were expendable. Wow. I just got, <clears throat> there was a, another gentleman, I can't think of his name right now, but he was in the service and he was there when they were filming that movie. And he took photos that are as good as any photographs I've ever seen. And he allows us to use them if there's a benefit to the Cancer Foundation. Uh, and I'll show them to you uh, at some point, but they're really good. And I don't think I, if your dad was in them, I, I didn't recognize them, but you'll recognize some of the other actors and people who were there. Sure. Well, Bob uh, Montgomery was the other co-star in that in that and they were movie. expendable right yeah yeah i and, probably wouldn't recognize him and then um and then my dad helped with a lot of the movies from from then to about the mid 1960s um, but my parents met in the jungle in south america and your dad was there which was you know i was like well what the heck were they doing well, in they 1950 were, something yeah, they, in Peru. They went on a um, location exploration trip to South America. And my dad had some friends, I don't really know how he, he knew them, that were in Peru. And so that was one of their stops as they went to Lima. And uh, through friends of a friend then, uh, I guess they, that uh, your dad met your mom. So I know a little bit more about the story. 
uh, I didn't realize that Ernie was there, but my mother was married to a man uh, down there named Richard Weldy. He was an American guy, and I think he was working for Pan Am or one of those airlines, opening routes down there. And she said, in our podcast, she said, look, I probably shouldn't say this, but he was married and had a family in the States, and I married him to get out of the house or something like that. <laughs> and so we were spl- they weren't seeing each other, but when Richard met Ernie and Duke and said there was a production happening in the jungle and his wife was in it, you know, then he took Ernie and Duke, they chartered a plane, I guess, and flew to, it. what was it called? Do you remember what, what that town was called? Iquitos. I think it was called Iquitos. And she said, it's a beautiful place in the jungle. They all came in. Uh, uh, Richard was kind of trying to impress me that he was bringing John Wayne. She said, I didn't know who John Wayne was, but he was nice and charming. We had a nice night. <laughs> and uh, she said that later, her and the writer of the film she was in flew to Los Angeles to do some dubbing, I think is how she described it. And they pull up at a traffic light. And my dad pulls up next to him and goes, oh, hey, my gosh, how are you? I've come to my house. We're having a little get together, you know, come hang out. And she never went back. Oh, my gosh. And, and she's, she's so funny. She's like, yeah, so he chartered a plane and had my little dachshund flown up from Peru. I'm like, from Peru? And, <laughs> you know what I mean? 1950. That's a long trip in 1950. No Something. Kidding. Whatever. So I was just, she's like, yeah, your dad and Ernie Saftik and Richard came to the jungle. And, and for me, it was, you know, I always remember your father and you and your mother, Myrna, uh, and then other family members of yours that I'm not sure how they fit in, if they're cousins or in-laws or whatever it is, because it's just been a long time and I was mm-hmm. young. But, you know, that was my entire life with my dad, my entire childhood. You guys were there and, and Ernie was always there. So one other thing on that trip, I know, I think they went to Brazil too, after Lima. And they were staying in a hotel right by the jungle. And, and the, the people in the hotel said, you need to keep your shutters closed in the evening because they didn't have air conditioning down there. And, uh, and I, I don't know, my dad got hot, who knows what. So he opens his shutters and in the middle of the night, he wakes up and he goes, what the heck? And he's got blood and he, he goes and knocks on your dad's door and he goes, Duke, Duke goes, what the hell happened to you? He's got blood all over the place. So they start wiping him down. Well, apparently a vampire bat came in oh and got him on the neck. And uh, yeah, he was, so fortunately he was okay, but but he said there was blood all over the place. And they go, okay, well, we'll keep the shutters closed. And no <laughs> secondary diseases or anything? No. So anytime, uh, anytime your dad was um, giving my dad a hard time, my dad would kind of show fangs like, uh, you know, the vampire bat will come out and get you. Wow. <laughs> and th- there were other photos, and I, I'm not sure, but I'd seen my dad... He's kind of wearing khakis and a baseball hat, and there's a PBY Catalina, that twin-engine seaplane from World War II. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't know if that was the same trip that they went down to Peru in that thing, mm. or if it was something else. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I know he was getting a divorce from his second wife, uh, Chata, mm-hmm. uh, and there was a bunch of problems, and I don't know. So maybe <laughs> he got out of town, but... 
you know, when I was talking to my mother, then I realized how close those two guys were for a very long time. You know, including by the time I came in 62, you guys were part of our lives the whole time that my dad was alive. Yeah. And went on many trips and, you know, I don't know if your dad was involved in acquiring the wild goose or helped make that decision. or So he, he was. Um, and for there's... anybody listening, I was born in 1962. And just before I was born, my father always loved being on the water. And he bought a converted World War II minesweeper that saw service in the Aleutian Islands and converted it to a pleasure uh, craft. And my family uh, spent, you know, my entire childhood on that boat in, you know, going from the, the southern part of mainland Mexico to the Sea of Cortez and Baja and all the way up to British Columbia and Alaska. And you and your dad, I think, actually went through the canal and crossed the Caribbean and crossed the Atlantic, went yep. up to the Azores and the Mediterranean on it. Yeah, so um, when your dad was looking for uh, a boat, he uh, came across the wild goose and, and he actually sent my dad to Hawaii. And my dad did kind of a, a survey to make sure there wasn't any dry rot or anything. And he said, yeah, it looks, it looks good. And uh, so your dad bought it and brought it back and, and, I mean, did some renovations to it just to make it a little bit more comfortable. But I know a lot of times he said, well, your dad could have bought the nicest boat that he wanted. But I think his feeling was that if it was good enough for the servicemen that served on it in World War II trying to find mines... Um, that it was it was good enough for him and and so I think that was his connection that he always had with servicemen and and and, and that's why I, I think he really enjoyed the wild goose. Wow, because it was a very nice and comfortable boat, but it was not what you call a fancy yacht. No, but it was very nice. Very nice, <laughs> big seating, you know, comfortable yeah. tables. When so, I think yeah, back, it was really well done. Yeah, so we went on the on the trip to Europe. And uh, when we left Newport, we actually went to Acapulco and stayed there about two or three weeks because um, your dad had a house down there. And uh, and I remember Aisa and I would go over and his neighbor was Maureen O'Hara. Merle Oberon. No, Maureen O'Hara. Oh, wait, you're, I did, you're right, yeah. Yeah, Maureen O'Hara, because I remember her pool had a had a little island in the middle of it, and Aisa and I used to love to go over there and swim, and uh, and we had a great time. Wow! So, and then we took the 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 wild goose down, and we stopped in a bunch of different countries. Stopped in El Salvador. We didn't stop in Nicaragua because they but were having what a trouble. trip! Like you just went to Acapulco and you stayed there for three weeks. Yeah, it was incredible. the The whole trip was about six months that we were on the. Wow. On, the, on the wild goose but i remember every time we would go into a, a port um of course the news would find out that it was john wayne's boat and, and in all the latin speaking it was han whiny han whiny <laughs> and so all the people from the whatever town we were docked would come down to the to the wild goose just screaming and yelling and uh, and so your dad would come back and and wave to all the people and then it was Aisa's and my job he had his um, autograph cards that were that he had pre-signed he made, yeah. and so we would 
it was our job, just we would just hand those out for hours. People would come up, oh, unwhiny, unwhiny. And, wow. And so we would hand out autograph cards through in, in all the different stops along those ports. How old were you on that trip? So I was uh, six. Wow. Yeah. You young boy to go on a trip like that. It, it was it was great. Yeah, and then we went through the Panama Canal, the San Blas Islands, and then um, and then uh, St. Thomas, and I remember. And then in uh, Bermuda, your mom and Aisa and my mom uh, and I got off the ship, and and you and um, so was I on for part of that? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and and we flew home while they took the wild goose across the Atlantic. And then we flew and met them in Lisbon, Portugal, and got back on the on the wild goose, and then went down to Gibraltar and um, into the Mediterranean. And we we anchor. I remember we anchored in um, Mallorca, which was kind of a town. And and then the next night we went to Minorca, which is another little island right there. Because you know your dad always liked to. The wild goose was so nice because he could get away from everybody. And so so we anchor in Menorca. And the next morning, we wake up and we're surrounded by Navy ships. <laughs> and I think it was the 7th Fleet. And the USS Enterprise was the the flagship of the 7th Fleet. And, and of course, the uh, Admiral found out that um, that it was your dad's boat, and so they sent word that they wanted um, your dad to, to come and, uh, and and visit them on the on the Enterprise. So my dad and your dad were the only two that went. And they got in the Boston Whaler, and they go over and they lower this um, like flexible kind of ladder down um, for them to climb up. Oh my gosh! And so it wasn't like a you know I mean they weren't expecting. <laughs> you know the the uh, the enterprise was not set up to uh, to have visitors, especially out at sea. But anyway, so they so my dad, your dad's up first, and they're climbing up this ladder and climbing, and, climbing, and that from the sea level up to the flight deck is a heck of a long way. And about halfway, my my dad would say, Duke says, Ernie, I don't I don't know if I can make this. <laughs> And my dad says, well, just look up there. There's like four or 5,000 men all watching us. We can't stop now. So they kept going and kept going, and they got all the way up. And, uh, and they spent, I, I don't know how many hours on the ship. And, uh, you know, your dad talked to as many people as they could. And uh, it, was a, it was a great visit. But he says, you can't quit now. You, you have to keep going. So it was, uh, that was a great trip. So Minorca is a, a less populated island. Yeah, I don't think at that time at least there wasn't anything on it. It was I just see. a. It, it just was a. I think there was three islands. I, I've forgotten, but but yeah. So so we we left the one that was populated, and, and we thought we were going to be all by ourselves. And we wake up the next morning, and we're wow. surrounded by navy ships. What a trip! So that was great. Yeah, six months. Yeah. And were they doing any work when they were over there? Or that was just his, he took some time to... It, your dad was making the circus picture. Oh, okay, circus world, okay. Yeah, yeah. And so it was getting over yeah. to that. And, and then my mom and dad, we left the the 
the wild goose in uh, Barcelona. And then we finished our trip. We went to Italy and Switzerland, France, and England, and then we flew home. But it, yeah, it was a, it was a great trip. So one other thing I forgot on that trip, um, Aisa and I had a routine because they took us out of school, and so every morning after breakfast we had to do our schoolwork, and so you know English and math and all kinds of stuff. And then once we were finished with that, every day there was always leftover booze bottles or wine bottles or what have you. And so once we were finished with our schoolwork, then we would write notes. Oh my gosh. And uh, you know, we'd write so I wrote, whoever finds this bottle, please call Tommy Saftig. And I put my address and my phone number, and I'd put it in the bottle, and Aisa would do the same thing, and she'd put hers in, and we'd throw them over the side. And we I mean, it was like every day. And, and this was, I remember here, this was all in the Pacific. Um, and so we get home after the six month trip and about nine months later, my mom gets a call. Um, may I speak to Tommy Saftig? And she's like, um, he's in like second grade. What do you, what do you want? And she said, well, my husband was stationed in Anawetok in the Marshall Islands, walking on the beach and he looked and he thought he saw something. He kept going and then he goes, you know, I think there was something back there. And he went and this bottle had barnacles and stuff. And he looks inside and it was one of my notes. And he sent it to me. I, I brought it. I'll show it to oh, you. Oh, that's incredible. And so, yeah. So he, uh, I forget how many thousands of miles. We, you know, we're just estimating because it was somewhere along the, the Mexican coast or Central American coast that it, it probably floated from there to the Marshall Islands. Who was the captain of the Wild Goose back then? Um, Pete Stein. Oh, it was Pete Stein? I'm pretty sure it was Pete Stein. I remember Bert Mitchell was the mate and Ken Mitchell was the engineer. engineer. Yeah. And then Fausto was uh, your dad's steward. Oh, really? He who, was on the trip. He was on that trip, yeah. Wow. What a Fausto what a great worked. man, yeah. Again, somebody I only knew as a little boy, but so much a part of life. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, people, they hunger for the information. They look at you and they're like, what was this? What was that? And, you know, I go, gosh, I, I just don't know. I remember Fausto and Fally. I, you know, I just don't know much about him. I remember that a daughter, Pilar. Yeah, Pilar Cita. Pilar Cita. Yeah. So I don't know where she is. Yeah, because she was on, she came in, and I think was on that trip for for a little bit, because Ice and I loved it, because it was somebody else to play hide-and-seek with. Mm. <laughs> I love the Wild Goose. What a what a incredible way to grow up, going on trips like that. Yeah. So, you guys are in Europe. Yeah. You finish out that trip. Yeah. He goes and films. Mm-hmm. Does your dad stay there while he's filming? or No, he went with you guys. He didn't, yeah. And were you yeah. always uh, in Orange County? When did you guys get here? Oh, yeah, we, were in, we lived in uh, Orange County till late 70s, right after your father died. And how, did you come here around the same time he did? Or? No, I came down to... Well, uh, no, okay, so when um, 
So, so let's back up. And I think it was before, it was either before or after the Alamo that um, your, your uh, mom and dad and I used, we were living in Encino and they had a birthday party for Aisa. And they had this baby elephant for the kids. And so the, they go, well, let's, let's, you can take a ride. And so they, my dad picks me up and puts me on the back of this elephant. Well, I had little short pants on. And they didn't put a blanket. And, and I, baby elephants have like their hair is like needles. And so I start crying. And they go, oh, my gosh. Oh, somebody should have put a blanket on there. So, so I was like the guinea pig little kid. But it was shortly thereafter, I think, that your dad and mom came down and, and um, visited my parents in Newport and looked around. And that's when they, uh, when they found the, the house in Bayshore. Oh, I see. So you guys were already living down here. Yeah, yeah. Because my mom had lived in Newport since 1931. Really? Yeah. And then uh, she and my dad married in 48, and they lived um, on Lido in Newport. So they were already living on Lido before they went to South America or anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's funny that that my dad came down here in high school and then lived down here, but he wasn't really, he didn't really invest in the land or anything. Like, I, I, I remember looking back at some documents and the house he lived in was on leased land. You know, he's like making payments on it. Right. And uh, as I as I travel around and this will cross some of our story here, but you know, I've been in uh, Colorado, you go to that town of Aspen and you know, I'll go, well, your father owned 28,000 acres in a Valley just beyond Aspen, or you go to Palomar mountain. He'll say your father owned thousands of acres down there and you know, owned Gonzaga Bay with Don Cole at one point. And, and so I just, I'm curious, like, do you remember any of that or how they got started on some of these things or yeah. what must have happened? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, um, yeah, with with Newport, um, yeah, I know that that was all part of the Irvine Company. So, right. so that yeah, that's why that was uh, lease land. Uh, but the other stuff, no, I don't. Um, I mean, yeah, like I, I said, don't know if it's true or not or if people just say that. I, I, I know, know he had stuff down in that Fallbrook Palma Valley area he must have had a place down there at one point but I don't know what he did with it and there's just and I remember going to Aspen we went to Aspen um your dad and my dad and I th- I thought you did you go we went there? a number of times yeah, yeah when we went in the summer and I remember we took these jeeps up on the Aspen mountain and had a picnic and so oh, it was beautiful well they have he still has two mining claims on Aspen Mountain. And he yeah. doesn't own them outright. They're with other people. But they're still in the estate. Nothing that I control, but in the estate. Oh, okay. And uh, I think I get the tax bill and we pay it. Uh, but, you know, I know with your dad, they did a bunch of mining. And I can remember going. Yeah. I don't remember where we went, but I can remember going to little towns and meeting different people and you know, going to places. But again, when you're a kid, you just... Yeah. But I, I, I still remember that trip, though, because your dad and, and mine went out for dinner in Aspen. And um, I stayed back at the hotel, and I remember um, 
Uncle Duke comes back, and I go, where's my dad? And he goes, well, he'll be back soon. Well, apparently, some loudmouth at dinner had tried to pick a fight with your dad. You know, everybody wants to show that they're tough, and they want to take on John Wayne. And uh, anyway, my dad and another guy apparently went looking for this guy. I don't, we don't know if they ever found him, but the guy, the guy didn't bother anybody anymore. <laughs> so he was late getting back. Your he dad was, was a big man. Yeah, he was late getting back. Your dad was a big guy, and he was a Marine. Uh, Navy. Navy, okay. Yeah, Navy. Yeah. Why did I have Marine in my head? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But he was a, he was a big, tall guy, right? Yeah, he was like 6'2", and I don't, bigger than me, two, <laughs> 240 maybe on his low end. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, like, some people... Like when they want John Wayne, sound like if I, we had this, we had some legal problems, and one of the attorneys was this big Danish guy, and uh, you know they'd all be like, oh, that's you could see, like, that's the one, that's the one, and you know they they want that, they want that presence, and I, I can remember my brother Michael sometimes, you know, like walking or or sort of taking on some of that speech pattern, right, and I'm I just felt like. I can never pull that off, so I'm not even going to go there. You know, like my mother's small. Yeah, uh, you got to be cool with that. But, but I remember uh, his his booming voice. Anytime we were on the wild goose, and and I, I think one of the times we went to Catalina, and you were there, and Ace and I always knew when you were in trouble because you'd hear this John Ethan with that booming voice. If he called you Ethan, you were good. But if he used John Ethan... Yeah, John we, Ethan, you're in trouble. You, we, you knew how we go. I used to, and I would say, oh my gosh, Ethan, come on. <laughs> Don't get him mad. Well, I tried not to, but, you know, yeah. sometimes. So we went through World War II. We talked about Pilar. We oh. didn't talk about um, the Alamo. Oh, yeah. So my, my chance for fame that went, uh, that never even made it to the cutting room floor. <laughs> so, uh, so my mom, dad, and I went down there. Um, well, and my dad was, again, a production manager on that movie. And so his job was like when they used all the um, Longhorn cattle in, in one, of the, one of the scenes. And so he had to go to all the ranchers and... And procure the, make sure they bring the cattle and and they could use them and and do all that kind of stuff. And uh, they were, one of the things that they didn't have is they didn't have anybody to play General Santana. It was a, they they wanted a big Mexican, um, real tough looking guy. And and my dad had a friend back in San Diego named uh, Ruben Padilla who um, actually ran the, he was, ran the tourism business for Baja. And so my dad, they fly him out there to, the, to um, Texas. And he, Ruben was about 6'4", and a big man, and great mustache. He, he just looked the, he looked the part. So they go, okay, you're General Santana. So they get ready for the one scene where General Santana is leading his, you know, they're outside the Alamo and they're leading the army. And, and so uh, Duke says, okay, Ruben, you, you go up here and, and I want you to walk your horses and then you stop right there 
and um, it, and then that'll then we'll cut that scene and and then we move on. So they get everything and they've got thousands of Mexican uh, look uh, in, in yeah, yeah in in dress the soldiers right. soldiers on horseback and here's Reuben on this white horse and he's leading them out and he walks and everything's going fine they're rolling the cameras and they get to the point where they're supposed to stop and he keeps going and keeps going and keeps going and your dad's yelling Reuben you're supposed to stop you were supposed to stop and so Reuben comes back and, and he goes Reuben did you not understand and he and he goes yes he says you told me you told the men but nobody told my horse and nobody knew that Reuben didn't know how to ride a horse. So here he is leading this, this Mexican, uh, the Mexican army against the Alamo. So it's funny. Uh, I remember the name Reuben Padilla. Yeah. And, uh, maybe it's, did he, did he end up playing that in the Alamo? He was the guy. He was the guy. Oh, wow. So when you see General Santana, that's, uh, that's Reuben. Wow. Yeah. And he'd been a long time friend of my dad since the twenties. And your dad was going to Baja back in the day? Yeah, yeah. They'd go down there in Prohibition, and they'd go across the border. And drink. Yeah. <laughs> or bring some back. Right. And then all the bird hunting and boating and exploring. Yeah. So, so then, at, at the Alamo, so then they were going to have the birthday uh, scene, which was like the night before the big battle. And Aisa was going to be in it. And I was going to be in it. And they had all these other, there was, I, I forget how many other little kids getting ready to shoot this scene. Well, and so I was like three, I think three and a half. And they were getting ready to shoot it. And, and I had my cowboy boots, which were like my prized possession. Because here I am in Texas, this little three and a half year old kid. And they get ready to shoot the scene. And the um, director's going, no, the, I had like some kind of metal, you know, like little metal things on the side of the uh -huh. boots. And so in not telling me, they just took the boots off. And, and then I'm like, they started crying because <laughs> they took my boots, <laughs> my prized possession. And so your dad is, picks me up and he goes, oh, Tommy, it's okay. I love you. And I said, well, I don't love you. They took my boots. <laughs> And so they couldn't get me to stop crying, so I I, I never made it oh, into no. the scene. <laughs> wow. Was Aisa in there? Aisa was in oh it, yeah. Gosh. So you, when you see the Alamo again, you, you'll see Aisa. And I've you'll seen see... her in some of the scenes, but I don't remember that one. But I did see an interview with the woman who danced okay. on the table for that. I think it was the birthday scene. Yeah. So that's, that's where I didn't make it. And then... I think a, a day or two later, they had Reuben's horse, the big white horse. And so they put me on the back of that horse and it, I don't know what, but it bucked me off. And then, and so your dad goes, well, when you get bucked off, you just get back on. <laughs> and so they put me back on and it worked out better the second time, but still I was crying, I think. So, so basically the Alamo, I was crying, it seems like half of this, half of the time. But uh, yes, yeah, so I've got a photo of uh, your dad holding on to me when I'm crying. Wow, that's great. Was your yeah. mom down there too? Yeah. Really? Yeah. In uh, years later, I, I was there working on a movie of the week, and uh, it was at that same location. And you know, I I didn't have all this history at, at this time. This was in the '80s, and I <laughs> you know was out on my own, and it was just a job. And uh, 
there was a guy that lived down there named Bill Moody. And I guess they owned a big insurance company and they were around during the Alamo. Okay. And uh, they invited me to lunch at their house and you need you go down this miles of this dirt road. Then you get to this really cool hacienda right on the border. And uh, they told me lots of stories about filming the Alamo. And that guy was a pilot. So he was flying around. Then they'd go back to Houston where they had their insurance business. It was interesting to be there and see all that. Because that was before my time. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, way out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And how'd you guys get there? Do you remember? Well, you were three. Well, we I drove. Remember. Drove. I remember we, we ended up, we drove from Southern California out there. My mother was talking about, uh, and Patrick, that she, my father had a Cadillac convertible. And Patrick's like, it was like the coolest car in the world. You, know, you can't believe it. <laughs> and Pilar was going to give me a ride back to L.A. And you know, knowing my mother now, I, I'm not, I can't imagine somebody giving her a brand new car and sending her from Utah, you know, <laughs> to LA back in the day, but they went and the story was funny because she got on the freeway on the wrong side of the freeway and they were going against traffic and she scared oh, no. the crap out of Patrick, who was probably, <laughs> I don't know, 14 or 15 years old. He wasn't quite driving it. So that was the start to their journey and they ended up making it, but. Wow. Pilar so, had some colorful tales. Yeah, I bet. So you asked about my mom. My mom was actually in a um, movie with my dad and your dad and Big Jim McClain. Really? That they shot in Hawaii. <clears throat> and my mom was an extra. And so your dad's on the airplane flying from Los Angeles to Hawaii. And my mom's in the seat behind him. And she's pretending like she's looking out the window and... And so that was her scene, and she got paid $8 to, to be the extra in that scene. And I still have the $8 that she got paid, because they paid her in cash, obviously. But really? Yeah, so, so she got wow. paid 8 bucks. And my dad was in that movie, too. He had some speaking parts in it. I'm going to have to go back and watch it. I've seen the movie. He plays a detective with James Arness. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And I think he had James Arness under contract with Batjack. Yeah. And then put him up for the role in uh, uh, Gunsmoke. Yeah. Because they wanted my dad. And he said, maybe you'll like this guy. And I guess he let him out of his contract where he could have kept him in the contract and then pocketed the overage of what he was getting paid. <laughs> he was a nice guy. Nice guy to other actors. Wow. How did the mining stuff start with those guys? So my dad's uh, grandfather was the guy that discovered gold in the Klondike. Way back 1896. In the Klondike. In the Klondike in, in Yukon. Yeah, in Yukon. Wow. And So that's and, not even Alaska. That's the Yukon no, territory. The Yukon. Yeah, it's a Yukon territory. And and he married, um, a, they call him First Nation now, Indian woman. And that, that was my great-grandmother. And she was full-blooded Indian. And then my dad's mom... Um, had him when when they had moved to she was a little girl when they made the strike in the Klondike, and then uh, George Carmack, who was my dad's grandfather, came back to Seattle area, and then he had some mines in the Cascades, and then he moved back down to California because he was originally from in the Hollister area, kind of there south of San Jose, and he had a mine up in Placer County, um, west of. Uh, Lake Tahoe, 
And my dad used to go up there as a little kid, and then um, they lost that mine during the Depression and legal battles and things like that. And anyway, one of the pieces of property adjacent to that um, came up for sale, and my my dad talked to your dad, and, and they ended up buying it with a couple of partners. And it was like the great business deal, because they paid like $100,000 for this 400 acres, and two years later, they sold the timber for 100000 mm. bucks. So, and it, it had been, there were a lot of gold mines in that area, so it was the same property. But the timber ended up being... Been removed. Being Is that the same well. place that we still have? Yep. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's how they there. got into it. And my dad got in, was involved in silver mines, like with, with the ones in Colorado and so forth. So he 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 did that quite a bit during the '60s and '70s. And were those were those like money making ventures that they were doing, or were they more hobbies? Just no. Liked? I think they, they, those were money making. Yeah. Money. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot, but I think they made some. Because you know there were boxes of rocks, like you know all yeah, the different right. kinds of rocks. So I think those were all samples <laughs> and test pieces, yeah. and you know we've got them in the exhibit. And again, people ask me, and I'm like, well, you know, I, I'm sure it was things that were pulled from a mine and <laughs> right. projects they were working on, but really can't give you specifics. Yeah. Yeah, but we went on some other like I, I went on a couple of the trips to British Columbia on the Wild Goose. Mm-hmm. Those are those are great trips because we took the the boat from Newport up to Seattle, and then your dad had a couple friends there that that then we would meet and go up um, around Vancouver Island. And um, I remember it, it was awesome because at that time then the chef on the Wild Goose was Billy. Billy. Um, and, and Billy was an amazing cook. And so the guys would go and they'd catch salmon and he would make this awesome poached salmon. It seemed like every night it was incredible. And, and, uh, we went to this one Island and Billy knew that there were wild, I think they were blackberries. And so he sent us kids. Okay. You guys go, I, I think I was like 11 or 12. Then he says, all you kids go back and you fill up this basket of berries cool. and, uh, and so don't come back until it's full. So we we bring it back. And that night, then, he made these homemade berry pies that were just awesome. So Billy's had, food was amazing. It was totally amazing. amazing. <laughs> People go, what? hey, Finn, make yourself at home, buddy. Come on, sit down. Sit, sit. It's usually just me and Finn, so he's, you know, might not have the best manners for guests. But this is how I eat most of my meals right here. Uh, Billy was great. Uh... Was Do you remember uh, Buzz Fiorini? Sure. The seaplane pilot? Yeah. And he, and he had that uh, like sports store and ski school. and. Yeah, it was Fiorini and Max Wyman. Max Wyman, yeah. Yeah, he had a boat that was a little smaller than the Wild Goose, but similar, yeah. The Trenora. Do you remember it? I had forgotten the name of it. I, I remember, I can see it, but yeah. I can And uh, he was an interesting guy. Almost... Like my memory of him is almost like a Walter Matthau type character. Yes. Like probably not super handsome if you just looked at him, but his personality just won you over. Yeah. He, he, I think I remember he always had a good looking girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. And I remember going in his boat and I went down to his stateroom and on the shower it said conserve water 
shower with a friend. And I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe seeing that thing. I went back, I told my dad, I was like, that guy's cool. This could be the coolest guy I've ever met. <laughs> I remember one of those trips that one of your dad's guests was um, John Derrick. Oh, yeah. Who married uh, Bo Derrick. Mm-hmm. And all my friends would go, well, was she there? And I'm going, no, just him. <laughs> but <laughs> He's a, I, I have vague memories of him. Uh, he was close to Chick Iverson. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he also went out with Ursula Andrus before Bo Derek. Oh, God. And I can't think of the name of the other. She was like a Bond girl. Anyway, always beautiful, beautiful women. So your dad's friends, um, I know Ward Bond was really close with my dad and your dad. And they used to play cards all the time, whether it was gin rummy or do you play cards not not like they i'm like they they always they played bridge a lot i mean i played gin but they they played bridge my memories are they would play cards all day long so i remember one where your dad might there was like four of them playing bridge and i was playing chess against your dad i would put my little chess table right next to him and so he was playing me chess at the same time he's playing bridge with with the other guys and we we were playing and all of a sudden he looked down and he goes you know three moves if you would have moved here and here you would have you would have had me and so he had an amazing mind that you could concentrate playing bridge and 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 so aware with playing wow. chess at the same time yeah I, I you know we started playing a little bit of chess but then it it faded. It faded. But the guy played cards all day, yeah. chess all day, backgammon all day. Yeah. And I never, personally, I never had that in me. I've never been drawn to that uh, activity. So I was always surprised, you know, that he accomplished a lot and he had a busy schedule, but then he would find time to really, I mean, they played all day, all day, like maybe go fishing in the morning and then they played cards. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know if you remember the wooden chess sets or these wooden chess boards that were, I just remember them at the house on the boat on location in different places. Never seen one since. I don't know where, you know, a lot of things just, yeah disappear over the years a lot of my memories um yeah some stuff and you don't know whether he gave it to somebody or they just grew legs and disappeared after he <laughs> passed i don't know i don't know yeah a lot but of... certain things like his belt buckle has never surfaced and those chess boards i've never seen and i remember like he had like a large sort of a, a nice sized wooden it's kind of a light wood yeah it's just a board and then he had real basic pieces but i don't know where any of those are i have lots of pictures of them hmm. but don't know wow were you let's see you were born in the so do you remember when my mother came do you remember her coming to this country any of that no because no, because yeah, yeah. Aisa is older than me, so oh, that's right. Yeah, so no, I was. <laughs> so that must have been the early fifties when they met. Yeah. Wow. 
I don't remember when your father passed. It, well, he, in uh, 1980, or 1996. 96? Yeah, he was 85. Wow. And my mom, the, the same year. So, so she made it to 86, and he was 85. Wow. I didn't realize they were around that long. Yeah. Because I remember when... Um, so he was quite a bit younger than my dad. Uh, so, so that was, that was one of their jokes is that, cause my dad had gray hair from the time he was, and he I was what, in, in his how much? 40s. So my dad was born in 1910. So he was what, four oh, years younger. Yeah. Yeah. But your dad would always joke and he'd say, Oh, Ernie used to go in the bars with my dad and I had to stay outside <laughs> because, cause your dad didn't have gray hair. My dad had gray hair. So he looked older. My so. dad didn't have a hair. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, wow. He, he always joked. Yeah, Ernie could go in the bars you know, before I, for, I could. I forget <laughs> that my dad died so young. You know, he was only 72. Uh, so then there was all those years, right? So 79, 89. Yeah. Okay, it works out. Just, wow. They spent a lot of time together. Yeah. Great friendship. Yeah, my dad, actually, he, I, I remember that weekend because he, and my mom came up for my Stanford graduation, and your dad had just died. And then my dad had to get on a plane to come back to be a pallbearer. Mm. So, yeah, that was a bittersweet weekend. Wow. Same weekend. Yeah. It's funny for me, life was kind of normal, you know, as a teenager. But then my dad died, and then life got, it was real weird for a while. Like they lock up the house and you're not allowed back in. And, you know, even 30 years later when, when Michael died and I went in to look at what was stored away, like all the stuff from my room, even a bunch of stuff of my mother's, even though they were separated, was just like boxes and boxes of things, you know, from my, my desk and my bathroom and, and my bedroom. So that, that was a weird transition from, you know, being at home with your dad to then, pshht. Yeah. There's a bunch of people just like, okay. Yeah, tough. So it, it's just the way it was, but thinking back, it was odd. Yeah. But then maybe I was odd too. Maybe they just look at me <laughs> like, you know, get this kid out of here. I don't know. Wow. Were you around when uh, when he met like Lewis Johnson or the Wingfields? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Because I still see Alice Johnson, Lewis Johnson's wife, Alice, okay. his widow. I guess they got married after my father and him started working together on the ranch. Uh, and she's still around, and uh, she loaned us one of the station wagons that she had for the exhibit. So it's there, and she'll come out. I think at the end of the month, she's going to come out for John Wayne Day. Oh, nice. Um, did, did Tom get an invitation to John Wayne Day? Yep. Yeah, okay, good. Good. Um, so I, I just know that he, you know, I heard that he got that ranch. It was like an investment. Yeah. It was just not doing great. And then they somehow got to Louie, and Louie was a real successful farmer, and they made the, the ranch work. Nice. 
Yeah, I remember um, you, you, we were talking about different friends of his, and, and um, I still have a picture where, because um, Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall were friends of theirs, too. And so they used to, because he was Lewis a, Johnson of your dad. Oh, oh, yeah, no, of your dad, and uh, and so he was a big sailboat guy, and uh, yeah, they would go to Catalina, and uh, yeah, so Lauren Bacall and and Humphrey Bogart. And... Was Lauren Bacall Blood Alley? Yes. Yeah. Okay. They called her Betty. That's they didn't call her Lauren. They, her friends called her Betty. So it was it was Bogey and Betty. Wow. <laughs> and so yeah, my dad was up there when they did when they filmed Blood Alley. Because I I think I read some letters or some articles where she was having a tough time and that film really helped her out. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those people really they reached high heights and then they yeah have some pretty low lows. And I remember your dad and my dad, they went and visited um, Andy Devine when he was about ready to pass away. Mm -hmm. He was out at Loma Linda Hospital. And uh, dad said, hey, we need to go see Andy. So they got in the car and went and saw him. I can remember him coming to the house. Yeah. He had a great voice. He would bring a... He he, he brought, like, I know he brought more than one, like a choo-choo train... You know, engine, you put batteries in it, the thing would go around. I think it puffed smoke or something like that. And he was always so nice, and I'd be like, who is this guy? guy? <laughs> and like, why is he treating me like such a friend? You know, like, I just didn't couldn't quite figure it out. I didn't understand a lot when I was a little guy. Just really didn't. Didn't understand who all those people were. Yeah. <laughs> And one of the confusing things for me were like Michael and Patrick and Tony and Melinda. Because mm-hmm. they, they weren't always around. But when I was a little boy and they, they, this is your brother and this is your sister. And I'd be like, how yeah. the hell does this? What, what, what's he talking about? Yeah. It's odd. We've, we've gotten pretty close over the years. And they've been great. And I see Patrick all the time now. And I see Melinda all the time now. Oh, and their mother, great. Josephine, was really kind and friendly to me and Ice and Marisa, always. Nice group of people. Hmm. Um, how about the Wingfields? Do, do you remember how I that started? Yeah, I don't, just I don't remember. Just yeah, there? I just remember, yeah, the name, and, and I, uh, but I, I don't remember being around them much. Do you remember Ed Smart? Yes, Aspen? so he was one of the Aspen guys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Ed Smart and Fred Baker were the other guys oh, that they Baker. did some of those oh gosh, mining yeah. things. Uh, I remember Ed Smart from way back, and then I felt like f- from in my life, Fred Baker came years later. But I remember Ed Smart, you know, when I was little, seven, six, seven, eight years old. Ed Smart was around. My dad was going to Colorado. We'd go up there and visit him, and. I don't know what the heck they were doing, but it seemed like there was always some kind of a thing going on with Ed. Yeah. He'd even pass through town, you know, decades later and open the trunk of his car and, you know, you got to find this, you got to find, you know, (laughs) sort of conspiracy theories. And I'd be like, Ed, I don't don't know anything about it. Yeah, I don't, there were some characters for sure. His son, Kevin, Mm -hmm. do you remember him? Yeah. Came by the office down here in Newport a couple really? times. Yeah. He's a, a Sikh, I think. 
in um, some some type of religion. You know, he wears the oh really the headdress. I think it's called a I think he's called a Sikh, and uh, super nice guy. He's um, always been athletic, and he's like uh, was really into yoga, so he can like come and you know, do like <laughs> these handstands and things. He was an interesting guy, but again, you know, just talking about. Uh, things that I know nothing about, you know. He was a quite a skier. He yeah, was a ski he, jumper and cross a, country. An Olympic. He, he he. I think the year he was like the fourth, and they took the top three. Oh. So he was really good, but just not quite good enough that I, that I remember. That at least that one year. Do you remember the Hilgrens? Uh, Jay Hilgren, uh, Mark Hilgren, Leah Hilgren. Leah Hilgren. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Leah was in your uh, in Aisa's grade. Yeah, really nice girl. Leah's passed. I don't oh, know if really? you knew that. Yeah, she passed a few years ago, and I'm still I still see her brother Mark from time to time, and that's uh, their father's boat. I bought their father's boat after he died. I don't know, 25 oh, really? years ago or something. Oh my god, Nordic. So it's been a good boat for Beautiful. many years. Um, but they were another family that was around. I think Mark's probably older than you yeah. and I. Yeah. But Leah was close. Yeah. And she was a really good athlete too. Yes. Huh. Really, really good. Do you remember Chick's daughter, Chanel? No. What a beauty. Oh my gosh. Oof. Wow. So you just knew the Wingfields in passing. Yeah. 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 They're going to be in. I remember that the boys were in Big Jake. Like the original, the crew that rides in in the beginning of the movie and kidnaps me and kills everybody. Yeah. The two brothers were in that crew. And I don't think they had like named parts, but they were part of the gang of five or seven or whatever (laughs) it is that, that rode in. So, uh, you know, I had, I did spend time with those guys. Hmm. Trying to think what else we might go over. When I was in, um, high school, and playing football at Newport Harbor, and your dad and and my dad went to some event in um, Dallas, Texas, and I'm not sure it was really what the occasion was, but um, your dad was always thinking about other people, and so he tells my dad, Ernie, call up, call up Tommy. He needs, he wants to talk to these guys. So, calls up. And you know, just some random weeknight evening in high school, and my dad says, "Hey, Uncle Duke says that you might want to talk to these guys on the phone." I'm like, "Well, you're in Texas. Who are these guys?" And he goes, "This is um, Bob Lilly and Ralph Neely of the Dallas Cowboys." Wow. And Bob Lilly, who went into the Hall of Fame, and they get on the phone and they go, "Tommy." Um, Duke said that uh, we had to say hi to you. We said, well, we hear you play football. I go, <laughs> I play high school football, not like you guys who were, uh, you know, professional football players. And, and Bob Lilly was an amazing, amazing player. But but your dad was always thinking of other people. And so he, he goes, yeah, you got, you got to call Tommy. I'm like, oh, my gosh. That's pretty cool. So they, they brought me back a Dallas Cowboy warm-up jacket and um, – yeah, it was it was very cool. Wow! Remember when Aisa was young and she used to sail, and we that, that was when Linda Isle 
before Linda Isle was Linda, we used to call oh, yeah. it Shark Island, and mm-hmm. so it was just sand, and we used to go have picnics there on on, on Shark Island. <laughs> That's now uh, crazy expensive homes, beautiful homes. And the Reuben E. Lee, and before Promontory Point was there, yeah. they had those like dirt hills. Yeah. It was a great place to grow up. For me, it was. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it. It was good. I was trying to remember some other things. You know, your dad was one of the guests when they did the centennial of the Golden Spike in Utah. Yeah. And he and my dad went and, uh, yes, yeah, so I think that was in 19, what was it, 1969. So. I can remember those Golden Spikes and all the things yeah. they had around the house. Yeah, exactly. I kind of remember that. And when I was a little kid, your dad uh, would invite us over for movie night when they were living in Bay Shores, and, and he had that great room with the, with the big screen that would come down out of the ceiling. But I was always disappointed because we never showed John Wayne movies. Oh, really? <laughs> never. It was always somebody else. I'm like... What, we don't get to see John Wayne movies? No. <laughs> we would watch them. We would watch them. I can remember when Marisa watched The Cowboys and he gets killed by Bruce Dern at the end. She oh. almost lost her mind. And she was right next to him. You know what I mean? But it's still, <laughs> she was a little kid. It drove her crazy. Poor thing. She was traumatized. Oh. It's funny. I look back at, <clears throat> at my father when he was in high school and he was like, in the drama club, ran the school newspaper, dance committee, captain of the football team, you know, debate team, all this stuff. And he really never pushed me. I don't know about Aisa, but I was never pushed in that sort of direction. Mm-hmm. It was always pretty, pretty like, eh. And then we were gone a lot. Yeah. So there wasn't a lot of consistency with sports or you know being at school or something like that was secondary i can remember people would go like well summer's coming and i'd be like it is i don't know (laughs) i've been in mexico you know what i mean like i don't know (laughs) and patrick was here and patrick's like yeah i remember you and dad came to the location when i was making the bears and i and uh then dad left and he just left you and so i was there for like two weeks with patrick and his wife no clothes, no nothing. <laughs> and I don't remember how I got home from there. I just I remember being there, uh, but it was different. You know, it's different. I remember when you were a little kid. So you were probably, I want to say, three or four. And we went to Catalina on the Wild Goose. And um, I just remember your dad and my dad and me and... And we were up on the, if you remember on the second deck where they used to keep the Boston Whalers? Yep. So we're up high, and we're back there, and, and you go, Dad, Dad I, I, I got to go potty. I got to go potty. Your dad, <laughs> your dad says, well, just go over the side. And you're like, what, what? And so your dad walks over to the side and says, just like this. And so he's got this little stream, and my dad's got this little stream, and you come up there, and you're like four, and it's like a, like a, fire, like a fire hose. And I just remember your dad going, oh, my God, the pressure that kid's got. You know, that's funny because it's tickling a memory in my brain when you say that. And I, I didn't realize that's where that came from. Yeah. It's funny. 
I used to love to drive the Boston Whaler, though. Oh, my God. Yeah. I loved it. We almost killed Bert with those things. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, that poor guy. It's been made of rubber. <laughs> yeah, those Whalers were great. Yeah. And we'd go to places. You know, there's not many places like that anymore. Cabo San Lucas was nothing. Nothing. Just that one hotel mm-hmm. but other than that it was a little dirt street fishing village and uh man i went down a year i know it's probably been 10 years since i've been down there and i was like what the hell happened <laughs> it's a disaster and you know most of it's a disaster <laughs> it has the nice hotels but man crazy it's not so, like it was no i miss those like places that were remote and sort of untouched and my experience like durango durango mexico filmed a bunch of movies down there yeah i was there a lot of times on location and could roam free in the little town as a little boy and (laughs) there was no trouble you know what i mean like yeah it was a a beautiful country it was a great place to be and now it's really tough yeah i think i heard that los cabos is the deadliest city in the world no way uh and it was uh there's a guy following instagram named ed calderon and uh he's involved in a lot of the military he's like a mexican guy that is now consulting for us and Hmm. and uh, was involved in a bunch of different things there and he's always on podcasts and youtube videos and he was on one and they were they were discussing it it's really tough you know it's really bad and he says that, you know, the cartels are getting ready to now make something happen up here because they've, they've got everything locked up down there. So it's horrible. It's tough. And I don't remember any of that when I was young. I was young, so I don't know. But I don't remember there being like that much trouble with Mexico. Do you no, remember anything no. bad like that? I mean, we went no, to Baja we all used the to time. Go, yeah, all the time. Yeah. I'm not sure that I would want to take my boat to Baja right now. I know. You can't have a gun, can't protect yourself, can't. Yeah. You know, I don't know. It's rough. Yeah. But there's great yeah. pictures of you and me and your dad and my dad and Everett Creech, who was a stuntman. Do you remember Everett Creech? Yeah. Uh, walking down the beach in San Catin. Yes. Okay. It was like the mosquito, three days of the mosquito or something down there. Like crazy amounts of mosquitoes eating us. Uh, And in the Sea of Cortez as well. Do you remember the Gonzaga Bay or the the petrified, there's a petrified forest there. I know a lot of this years later from riding my motorcycle down there or flying down there. Um, I had a little plane and I'd go to Baja a lot. I'd go to San Quentin a lot. It was a great place to fly into. Wow. Little strips or land on the beach or do whatever down there. It was pretty fun. Hmm. That would be in the early 90s that I was doing that. Hmm. Yeah, but since then. What's your favorite trip you've done on your boat? On that boat? I'd say the, um, uh, the Channel Islands. Nice. And I'd, I think San Miguel was my... Well, 
Santa Cruz has a, this beautiful beach. I think it's called Betcher's Bay. It's a big, long sand beach, and there's mm-hmm. nobody there when I was there. Pretty windy. Everything's bigger. Seals are bigger. The fish are bigger. The kelp's bigger. It's just bigger. You know, there's that place where they're like east of this thing. It goes from four to six feet, and then it goes to eight to ten feet past this line. You know, yeah. once you get past that line, it's just, it's a different place. And San Miguel Island, which I think is the farthest one out, has a cool little harbor. I think it's called Kyler Harbor. And uh, it's a good anchorage. And you anchor up against this cliff. And they're like, hey, it gets windy at night, you know, up the cliff. Well, as soon as the sun goes down, it blows like 30 knots. And <laughs> there's a wall of granite right there. I don't know where the wind comes from, but that boat's steel, and it was just whipping like a little flag. Oh, God. And then Amy was with me, and we took the whaler in, and, uh, you know, had to, it's a 15 foot whaler, is the dinghy. So it's tough to get off the beach. So I think I put the nose on, she hopped off, and then I take it out and I drop the anchor. And then I swim in. And then we hike on this island, and it's like being on another planet. The the flora and the fauna, the, yeah. all the plants are the, are like these odd... First of all, it, it's sand, like, like beautiful sand. And the sand is blown up maybe 100 or 150 feet. So you're walking up the sand thing, and then there's a little trail. And then you go through all these different elevations of, of plant types until you get on the top and uh, it was just it was a really interesting place uh to see and it's right there you know it's it's right yeah there. amazing how and close it is but yet it's like like you said you're on another planet water's unbelievable <laughs> that one of those i think it's santa cruz has the big sea cave and yeah. uh yeah i just killed the engines on the big boat about two miles off the island and let it float yeah. And then we ran in in the skiff and went in the, the sea cave. It's pitch black. I had a big like, beam. Couldn't see the goddamn <laughs> thing. Those seals are making noises. And then we come out, and the boat's doing 10 knots in the current. You know, it's probably four miles away. So we go down oh, no. and jump on the boat and then keep going. It was just, it was a, a great trip. And Catalina's, you know, it's an amazing place. There's a lot of boats in Catalina now. Yeah. And when I was up there, I think it was September or October, it was like turning a little bit colder. And I remember one anchorage, there was a couple boats, but for the rest of the trip, it was pretty much just us. And uh, spectacular, just beautiful. That's great. And then coming back to the boat, there was one of those, what are those things, elephant seal? What what are the ones with the things? You know, they, they have them up there. So we're like, shit, that thing's like right where we have to walk by to get to the boat. And, and you think it can't move, but they can actually yeah. move pretty good. They sound like something prehistoric. Yeah. So we like get around that thing. It was a little scary. And then I have to swim out. So, or no, I was getting in the water to swim out and I'm swimming and I turn around and I hear her kind of screaming and the thing's going towards her like that. She drops her bags and runs. And then as I'm pulling myself out onto the whaler, I see this enormous thing swim underneath me. And it was another one of those just swimming oh underneath gosh. me. And they are, you know, they're as big as the whaler. Yeah. I mean, they're enormous animals. And I don't know if they're 
mean or not, but they're huge. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It reminded me of being a kid because when I went swimming up in the Channel Islands, like I would literally jump in, go under, and then hop right back out. Like I didn't swim around the boat or anything. I just right. kind of got wet. Because <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. Who knows what's what's um, down there, right? But that was that was pretty cool. Yeah, and I've never been to San Nicolas, which is a hundred miles out, I think. But San Clemente and Catalina yeah. and all that. And nice. then what are the two islands off? They're just across the border in San Diego. Oh, the Coronado. The Coronado Islands yeah. down there. Um, we were gonna take the boat to the East Coast, and. I'd gotten all the insurance. I'd gotten all the paperwork for Mexico. We loaded the boat up and Michael died. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to work on this a little bit, you know, Joey Enterprises. And then we're going to hop on the boat and go. And then one thing led to another and we never ended up going. Mm. And a couple of years ago, we unloaded like, you know, corned beef hash, cans of corned beef hash <laughs> and pork and beans and all this wow. crap that we'd put on the boat. To make that trip, which would have been would have been fun, but you know the too, and this has been really fun for me too, and great education. And nice, yeah. So like the year before we did the trip on the wild goose, we took our boat, my dad's boat, the Mayflower, and we went through the Panama Canal all the way up to Mystic, Connecticut. Really? Yeah. On that. So it was and what a was 40 the Mayflower? Foot, it was a forty foot catch sailboat. You guys did some cool stuff together. Yeah. It was a cool trip. Wow. Whole family? Yeah, well, my mom and, and then my dad had like two like deckhands that came along and, and helped. Um, but yeah, that was, a, that was a long trip. <laughs> oh my gosh, but it must have been fun. Oh, it was great. It was a great, great trip. What no good... radar. He just would navigate with a radio direction finder and... <laughs> Because he was used to being a you know PT boat skipper because they didn't have radar that was before radar. Fortunately, he got hurt before uh, radar was developed because that's when the PT boats their mortality rate just went oh really because before radar they could they were stealth and so they'd go out at night and Japanese couldn't uh, couldn't see them and they would take out supply ships and and barges and supply barges and things like that and they'd stealth go out shoot their torpedoes and then get back wow how fast would those boats go like oh my god 30 knots or something? no no like 65 they were really yeah they were very fast they had triple um triple screw wow i didn't realize that yeah they were very and where fast. was he new what? guinea new guinea yeah was it tough navigate? Like, were there reefs and things? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He went from, because he was there for 42 months. And you know how big my dad, my dad was? months. He was probably 220 or 230 pounds when he went out there. And he came back 148 pounds. So he had malaria and they had all kinds. I mean, you name the diseases and they had it back then. 148 pounds. Yeah, on 6'2". I just remember your dad being like a brick. Like yeah. just a... But yeah, fortunately he got hurt um, right at the right time because that was right when the radar was started to be used by the Japanese and and they were picking PT boats off right and left. Were were your parents married before the war? No, no, no. After they didn't, the war, they didn't. Yeah, they got married in 1948. 
Did they know each other before the mm -hmm. war? No. No. Yeah. How many months was he there? Uh, 42. Ooh, that is a long time. Yeah. A long time. Yeah. And, the, and, you know, you talk about hard living. So I, I know, like, when your your dad and mine were on the, a lot of the movie sets in the 50s and 60s, when they both were smoking, and they had four packs a day of camels. <laughs> so And your dad never had lung cancer? You no. Know, hmm. So, yeah, he went, when he built um, the Mayflower and the other, he built 20 boats over in uh, Hong Kong. And we took a cruise ship over, and um, then he did his work in Hong Kong, and, and we were in Japan. And then when we took the cruise ship back, he got some kind of flu. And he went to light up a cigarette, and he goes, oh, that tasted horrible. And he tried one more, and he never smoked again after that. Just boom. Yeah, that was so that was Good in like him. 1960, so he probably smoked for 40 years, but... My mother said that, you know, after my dad had lung cancer, she I'm smoking at a party. And she said that was really the end of their relationship. Like the fight they had over that was kind of the deal. Yeah. But my family doesn't have good smoking genes. No. So, so speaking, of, so after um, I, I told you my dad died in February and then my mom had had a stroke. And so she was still, um, she could talk, but she just wasn't... Um, it affected her more physically, but, but a little mentally. But just, I think, maybe a week or two before she before she died, she, I'd say, I go, Mom, what are you doing? She goes, Ernie and Duke are out on the deck smoking again. I'm going, wow, really? She goes, yes. <laughs> I've told them to stop smoking, and they're out there smoking. <laughs> And so it was uh, a week later, so she joined him. Wow. They were friends for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I remember your house. I remember something about a Mustang that kept getting hit by yeah. cars. <laughs> yeah. Is that right? Yeah, my dad had parked on the street, and some guy came around the turn at night and rear-ended it. Yeah. I don't know how fast they were. It but wasn't it like a bunch point. of times that car got hit? I think it got hit twice, yeah. Oh, I thought it was, it was more <laughs> It than might that. have been more than that, but that's all I remember. And then I remember I remember you guys had a lamp that had a goldfish in it. Yeah. Is that right? I still have that lamp. Yeah, That's pretty cool. I do. I was talking about that the other day. <laughs> and I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that lamp with a goldfish in it. And you had a squirrel. We did. It was actually a golden mantle squirrel. He had a couple that we, up at the property by Tahoe, we'd trap them and bring them back and put them in the little cage. And uh -huh. they, uh, like the one lived nine years old or something like that. And they would run like mad in those wheels. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize like you chipmunks. guys had such a, uh, such, such an adventurous life. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's pretty. Yeah, it was fun. Like back in the day, getting a sailboat all the way down through the canal without GPS, without radar, with yeah. your whole family, go through the canal. And we had a, um, I remember it was foggy, and we were in the kind of the, what would be North Caribbean, and by Cuba, and my dad, we were going in, and it's foggy, 
and he looks up and sees a palm tree. Oh my so God. Like exactly turned right around, went directly back out. Well, apparently we'd gotten too close to Cuba and we started to go around and pretty soon a, a Cuban gunboat came, was coming towards us. And fortunately, they have these huge, horrible storms called the White Squall that hit really fast, fierce winds, and and one of those hit, and it the the Mayflower was very seaworthy. It was just a like a really solid, and that that White Squall kind of dismantled the the Cuban gunboat, and so my dad was able to get away. Really. But, but yeah, so I think he got a little too close to the There's a movie called White Squall. <laughs> oh, yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, I think I'd heard of it, yeah. I was uh I was down I was working in Italy uh as an actor and a guy that I knew was in Malta doing stunt work for this film White Squall. So I flew down and hung out with them for a weekend on Malta and you know, they had one of those big tanks, like big you know, they had the whole boat and the thing, they have a jet engine that blows the water, you know, they can dump like thousands of gallons of water and it blows with this engine on the actors. And all the actors had, you know, yellow pus coming out of their eyes and nose because the water was, oh my god, you know, hadn't been treated and they were all sick. And so they were dumping 55 gallon drums of like pure chlorine into <laughs> oh, this no. thing and trying to, wow, trying to stir up. But that was Ridley Scott, that was a Ridley Scott film. Oh, okay, White school, yeah, wow. Yeah, uh, about that phenomenon. Uh, you reminded me of um, uh, kind of the the wild times when they're smoking and drinking, and it was several years after your after your father passed away that my dad was over at the Newport Harbor Yacht Club and sitting out on the deck, and a group of people were at a table right next to him. And this one guy, who apparently was the person that had purchased his house, mm. and he was shooting his mouth off with his buddies, and he's going, you know, I thought I thought John Wayne's bar would have been much more elaborate, and and just he says I was so disappointed, and my dad's listening to this, and you know you could tell the fur on his neck was going up. And the guy just keeps going on and on. Yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't spectacular at all. And my dad turns around and he goes, well, hell, all we needed was a bucket of ice and a bottle of booze. <laughs> Which is true. Exactly. Like all the stuff, like all the trappings of everything, they didn't really care about. You know, they no. cared about good friends and doing something fun and adventurous. We're just doing stuff together, I guess. Yeah. You know, it's right on the cusp of sort of even at 17 you're just like you were probably way ahead of me at 17 at 17 i was still you know (laughs) my brain wasn't fully formed and i just wasn't uh (laughs) wasn't there but you know i think in another couple of years you would have been able to capture more of my father as an adult because we were just starting to have yeah some of those discussions and i think you know if you watch a john wayne movie you would have thought that if he was your dad, you would have gotten more of that direct input, but he was really pretty relaxed at home. Yeah. I mean, he might get mad at, at something you did, but the rest of the time you were kind of, I don't know, or maybe he was older by the time I was born and he just didn't have that much energy to 
It's so funny. I mean, watching his movies just because I think maybe it was their generation, but I always felt like I was almost watching my father too, just because their mannerisms and the speech and, and all of that just, um, yeah, very similar. So it was straightforward, not a lot of embellishment, mm -mm. just direct. And everybody would always ask me, they go, what was he like in person? I go, just like regular guy, just like you see him. I mean, no pretense, no nothing. I remember the one, and I forget how this came up, but um, the one lesson that I remember him telling me, and I think we were on the wild goose or something. Somehow we happened to be sitting each other, sitting next to each other, and I, maybe I was popping off or I was doing something. And he just goes, Tommy, he goes, you never pick on the little guy says you always no matter who the person is in life or where where they are he says you never pick on the little guy and, and i remember that because like we were talking about fausto and and how your dad treated all the people that worked on the wild goose with respect and you never saw him belittle anybody mm. and never was rude to anybody didn't matter who they were if it was his steward or his friend very true yeah Yep, he was a good guy. Good guy. I'd love to have an hour with him. I know. Love to have an hour with him right now. I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> yeah, and uh, once he died, you know, lost touch with a lot of different things that were, you know, part of your life growing up with him. Uh, Pilar sort of had her crew. And I was never that comfortable with her mm -hmm. people, like I was much more comfortable with my father's group. Um, yeah. My so mom always felt close to you guys, too. Your mom was great to us. She always liked, she'd go, oh, it's a birthday, I gotta make a cake. Oh my God, her cake was amazing. And again, you don't appreciate it when you're little as much as you do as you get older, and her hot pepper jelly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, was it a Christmas thing? Finn, come here. Finn. What? Finn. Yes. Come on. Finn, get over here. Come here. Hey, no, this way. Come on. This way. No, this way. Finn, come on. Get over here. Come on. Yeah, get over here. Come on, get down. Get down, you crazy dog. Yeah, sit down. I uh, was at a, a Christmas thing, and uh, it was like one of those little, not a farmer's market, but some kind of little Christmas boutique thing where people had like stuff set up and so I did beautiful little jars of hot pepper jelly and I remembered <laughs> Myrna just like I can't see it without thinking of her my niece Leah and I still make that Leah we got my mom's recipe and, and oh really uh, yeah and so we we make it all the so, time so Leah is your niece yeah and uh, so my sister or my half sister same mom <clears throat> is Leah's mom and is, Colleen. Is Lee Leah's Colleen. mom. Okay. So Lee and Colleen are sister. Yeah. So like, and, and Colleen and Aisa were in the same grade. In the same grade. Okay. And what was her last name? Ward. Ward. Oh my yeah. gosh. And then who was Voigt? Voigt was a friend of theirs, Bill Voigt. He lives over on the peninsula. Still? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So where's uh, where are those? Where's everybody? They're all my sisters, um, and actually Leah and her husband Kenny live in Palm Desert, and they're taking care of my sisters. My sisters are going to be ninety next month, 
but she's yeah, <laughs> fading. Wow. 90. So Pilar's 92. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wild. <laughs> yeah, because there's so many people who, you know, John Wayne's circle was big. Yeah. And so as a kid, you're, <laughs> I know. you know, you you see it all, but you don't really retain it. Or Everybody least I needs didn't. name tags. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Colleen and Leah. My gosh. Are they doing okay? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Colleen and, and her family, they live in Virginia. Wow. Yeah. And Leah, like I said, lives in Palm Desert, and she takes care of their trust, that she does trust management. Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever cross paths with Michael or Patrick over the years? My dad used to go up and see Michael all the time. Um, yeah, so he would... I, I didn't see him too often, but but my dad did a lot. I probably didn't really start seeing Michael that much until I was working overseas and I didn't really have an agent. And so I talked to him a couple times about deals. And then when I came back, he's like, hey, do you want to help me with Squim? Do you know anything about Squim, where that came from? Yeah, that was another one of their deals. There was a bank or something up there that they bought into, I think. And that was like an asset of the bank or something? I think so. I don't I, know. People always go, where'd that come from? And I'm like, I I, just, <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I literally have no idea how that all came yeah. up. There was a bunch of controversy up there a couple of years ago. COVID kind of mm. got rid of it for the time being. But... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a beautiful place. Mm. Um, but the history of some of this stuff is just, you know, I worked with Michael on a couple things. He died really pretty suddenly. Yeah. You know, pretty quickly. I was just shocked. I mean, he looked normal, you know. But he had, you know, like three things, like three health things that just kind of like converged. Yeah. Took him out. Why well, not? Um, my mom would make hot pepper jelly for him and... He wouldn't even put on anything. He'd just eat it. Really? <laughs> yeah, he loved it. She had to make him a case, and he, he was, was just. I, I remember it. my dad exercising. I've always been an exerciser, and yeah. Patrick is an exerciser. Yeah. Um, but boy, Michael, I don't think he did. You know, I see old pictures of him as a kid. He looked like he was probably in good shape. Yeah. But just no. The only time <laughs> I, I'm like Michael, the only time I see you out of breath is when you're eating, like when we go to lunch. <laughs> Is this bread good? Oh my god, he really enjoyed it. Yeah, he was. Uh, he was. We didn't get along when I was uh, like around the time my father died. We were like had some, you know, just. I'm sure he was looking at me like I was an idiot kid, and just looking at him like he was an ass, and <laughs> whatever. But you know, we sort of got together later on in life, and and uh, had a good good relationship for a while before he passed uh, he was a funny guy uh odd sometimes and i don't know why but sometimes i got the feeling like he really felt the pressure of being john wayne's son mm -hmm. and and i don't know if i had some some way of staying away from it or that growing up down here i just never really felt 
you'd feel it from certain people, right? You know, and those were kind of the people that I would just never connect with. Yeah, never had a connection with. Uh, so it was kind of around, but it wasn't a big part of my life. And I, I was like, gosh, like one day I sort of had an epiphany when I was watching him, and he was like started to do the John Wayne thing, you know, and you're like, oh my gosh, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. You know, you can let it go. It's okay. Like he was that and you're not that and I'm not that. Like we don't have to do it. But I got a human sense of him that day. I got a real, oh my gosh, this is a, this is a kid that's grown up and he's, you know, now he runs this business and he's been attached to this guy for a long time. I don't know. It's, it was nice to be completely disassociated from him for a large part of my life. Mm-hmm. And then uh, to come back and sort of try to put the family thing back together has been interesting. Yeah. And I think it's going pretty well now. That's good. Because uh, I know there was some tension. He was very nice to me. I remember um, I had just finished business school. I didn't have any money. And my car had died, and he was going to give your dad's station wagon away. And and somehow my dad was talking to him, and he goes, anyway, long story short, we we go up there, and so he couldn't give it away, so he sold it to me for $100. And it was the station wagon that your dad had custom Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So the the station wagons at that time, it was funny, um, the back end kind of went up almost like a like yeah a, like, yeah, yeah yeah it went up well he had the he took it and had it customized and they flipped it around so that the the raised part was in the front the raised part was in the front so he could wear his hat while he was driving that's what we have in the exhibit yeah, <laughs> yeah. and that's what you drove so i drove that car <laughs> oh my god where did it go so then i Gave it to a friend of mine um, who actually had gone to Crone High School and um, had cerebral palsy. And he didn't have a car. And um, it was it was on a, definitely on its last legs. Yeah. And it was very tired. And so so, so I gave it to him. I, I don't know what happened to it after wow. that. What year would that car have been? Oh, my gosh. So th- this would have been 80, 86 or 7. So it was probably some mid-60s or something, wow. I think. Something like that. Because I think the one we have in the exhibits is 76. Pontiac Grand Safari. Yeah. And I know Michael had one that Gretchen sold at auction. And I know another guy's got one like in Texas somewhere. Um but the one we have in the exhibit's kind of a cool green color. And the one that Michael sold was like, I think it might have been the last one, it was kind of a charcoal gray with a red interior. No, yeah, this one was like a bay, it was like a yellowish beige and brown. Huh. Yeah. Cool old 60s color. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they were so, and, and I think a lot of the stuff, you know, at the time, nobody knew it had any value. You know what I mean? So it was like, I'm sure a bunch of that stuff just, you know, people are all the time, yeah, your dad gave that guy a set of guns or a hat or something like that. And as yeah. we're trying to put an exhibit together, certain things just weren't around, you know, and you're like, well, you know, who knows? Like, I don't know. Yeah. 
this is this is this is where we're at right now today. And I, I can remember Michael because Michael uh, he owned Batjack, which has interest in some of those films. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it was about the year I was born that you know, but that's a give it to Michael. You know, I don't know, like bought the stock for a thousand dollars or something like that. And uh, in his head. He made a movie, it went to the theaters, it had a run, and that was basically it. You know, and then television came along. You right. could make money with it there. And then <laughs> videotapes came along, you could make money there. And then DVDs, <laughs> you could make money there. So these things that he discounted, you know, later on became very valuable. Yeah. And, you know, to this day he plays. I mean, I just flew to Texas to do uh, interstitials or whatever you call it for uh, a John Wayne movie marathon this month. Uh, what's Beautiful. it called? Duke Days in May? For INSP, and they make a big deal out of it. It's very, very important to people. I wow, mean, this, those movies cool. are, uh, it's, the, the network is INSP. Wow. And uh, yeah, they have a movie marathon all, all month long. John wow. Wayne. So there's, you know, I mean, I doubt that he would have thought that there would be a business, you know, a, yeah. a significant charity. And then, you know, all the studios and producers, whoever owned any of his films are, yeah. <laughs> are doing good. You know, we, we had a thing with Paramount. And they're like, oh, yeah, that one still hasn't broken even yet. You know, we're still trying to earn our money back from 1951 <laughs> or whatever it is. You got to look at these guys and go like, what a bunch of sharks. Gosh. What a bunch of sharks. <laughs> we have to look for my mom when you see Big Jim McClane. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch mm-hmm. it. <laughs> and also you know as a little boy you don't think of the people that you're around they seem like older people and you don't realize right you know that they had all this these lives before yeah. you knew them it's fun to look back and you know to hear my mother talk about being in lima and you know she's like 14 or 15 and she marries a guy i'm like well did you ever go get a divorce from richard she goes no he's already married anyway i didn't have to like it was it was fake anyway i didn't even mess with it she just left she has a really uh you know independent spirit and uh then you know combine that with john wayne's ability to to move through life the way he did you know pretty pretty incredible life very incredible yeah and i mean you guys i mean how many people you know pile on a boat with no radar or gps and take their family like go to hong kong build 40 boats then bring one back i remember i have vague memories until you said it i didn't but when you said mayflower i instantly got a snapshot in my mind about it yeah and one thing that was really fun about having these conversations is just you're opening these closed <laughs> yeah, doors in right. your brain, you know, because yeah. you have years of memories that I, I don't have. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just don't have it. Like Fun. Leah and Colleen, I can remember being at your house and in your yard. I can see it in my mind. When you say their names, boom, I get a different picture of right of something. So it's all in here somewhere. <laughs> Somebody yeah. must have come down and we must be somebody's computer program. <laughs> I know. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're almost there ourselves yeah. now. Your dad was really nice to me, too, in that when I was in junior college, um, he sent me to New York for a week-long uh, seminar with uh, an organization called the Foundation for Economic Education. 
and it's it's still around today and it, it's it's kind of a free market um organization that promotes yeah free market economics and uh so he he figured well tommy needs to you know he's going to learn something in school but he needs to learn some other stuff and and so it was a lot of the um classical economists teaching um and yeah i went <laughs> he just goes my dad goes, you're going. I'm like, where am I going? He goes, you're going to New York. You're gonna... I'm like, what am I doing there? But it was, uh, it really had a big impact on me, and, and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and learned, learned, learned a ton. You feel like we're still a free market economy today? Not as much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not as much. But, um, yeah. And I remember uh, also... Um, it was funny because it was right up, right uh, over in uh, Rogers Gardens that I think your dad was one of the um, promoters of, uh, in 1976, for Ronald Reagan. And they had a fundraiser, and my dad and I, my mom, we all went, and, and your dad was there. And, and um, yeah, it was funny because all three of those guys, Reagan and, and your dad and mine, when they were young, were Democrats. Mm. And they all switched yeah. when they got when they got older. So. And I think the, the you know the uh, the meaning of Democrat and Republican. I think that's changed. Mm-hmm. And we've sort of um, gosh, we've kind of you know everything else has been pushed aside. And you have these two. You're kind of locked into these two. I don't know if it's ideologies or groups yeah. or gangs or teams or something like that some some ridiculous format that i think takes a lot of our choice away right but i've heard my dad say many times like these people call me like conservative i'm a liberal i i listen to everybody right you know i i look at both sides and jimmy carter you know who's nice enough to to write something for us i thought it was nice to have jimmy carter write it because he was my father was diametrically opposed to every decision he made. And he's like, not only was he opposed to every decision that I made and, and on the other side of it, but he would write to me and he would explain why he felt the way he did and why I should change my position on this issue. And he goes, he really explained it well. And he said, then when the Panama Canal issue came up, your father was actually on my side. And I can remember my father working for years to try to help him. And I don't know if you guys were around during that. I, I just don't know, but I can remember these people from Panama and all this time and he'd make trips and he had people at the house and, you know, he really went to work on it. Mm-hmm. It was, uh, I could see that if he was being used as a tool for sway by a corporation or a politician or something, he was very careful before he did it. Right. And I think he got burned as a young man, you know, doing things or getting involved in groups that, you know, didn't turn out to be what maybe he thought they were or things change or they, you know, sure. they do things that, that he doesn't like. Um, so he's pretty wary of that. But boy, for a guy to, to be able to maintain six decades of, of a... Uh, what would you call it? You know, he was he was consistent and reliable and thoughtful and yeah. 
believed in the free market system. He was totally about freedom and liberty. Believed in healthy debate. Wanted to hear your side of it. And yeah. I, I've had so many people say, he didn't believe the way I felt. He had a strong opinion on his side. But he wanted to hear my thoughts so he could learn and maybe change or have a discussion with me right. and explain why he felt the way he did. And obviously, we don't have a lot of that no. today, at least that we see on television and in the media. I do think we get some of it in this sort of long format conversation with mm -hmm. people who are involved in current issues. So I like the, uh, like this is interesting for me because I get to learn about my life, my father, my mother, what was going on when I was a kid, but also like the practice of having sort of a long format conversation with somebody and trying to carry on a conversation because I know how weak I am at it. And when you listen to a terrific podcast, you go, my gosh, this is an art and it's a lost art because just like they played cards and they played chess and they did some of these other things, they communicated very well with each other. Right. And they were really good at being able to articulate their thoughts and feelings around subjects and, and engage in healthy debate, sort of transferring knowledge in a way that um, they didn't have to always agree right. and, and that the debate could be heated, but they got through it. Do you remember Milton Bren? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Talk about like somebody who was polarizing and tough to deal with. And I'm a little boy remembering him. Yeah. I remember having, we'd have cocktails on the stern of their boat over in uh, Catalina, he and Claire Trevor. Yeah. So I just remember he was, for me, he was sort of, as a little boy, I was like, oh, here's this guy. Like, never always like just, put you on guard yeah a sharp tongue yeah but yet they were friends yeah 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 and um bob o'hill that, that i talked to the other day he um he had some good stories about milton and and how they would interact and i thought that milton was a like a property developer but he was actually a film producer and yeah. director i didn't yeah. know that yeah and I know, they lived right up the hill yeah. And Bobby said he helped build some of these houses. He said maybe even this one on this street back in the mm -hmm. day. And I, I do have vague memories of being four or five years old and coming back here. And like I said, I've got a, a photo back here on this beach. But I, I think I remember looking at these when they were building them you yeah. know, way back when. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Well, that was one. I'd, I'd forgotten about that one. About Milton? Yeah. I mean, I, w when you said it, yeah, because Claire Trevor, she was beautiful. Jeez. You remember her being beautiful? Yeah. Even when she was older, yeah, she was beautiful. I don't... And I remember they had a, they had like a, I, I like to go on their boat because they had like a stuffed monkey that was like a, it looked like a circus kind of monkey, but pretty big, maybe three feet high, and it would just sit on the back, on the stern of their boat. So as a little kid, I thought that was cool. These people have like a stuffed monkey. What was their boat? I don't remember it. I'm trying to remember. Sailboat or powerboat? No, it was a powerboat. Powerboat? And it was pretty good size, yeah. Hmm. 
Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm blanking on it. But was, yeah, they used to go anchor over in Catalina by White's Cove, and I saw some old photos of the isthmus, and you know, from the '30s, and it it yeah. might have been just as full then as it is today. Yeah, you know, just lots of boats over there, which surprised me. Oh. They've been going there for a long time. Hmm. Yeah, Milton Bren, Claire Trevor, and there's that whole Bren clan: Don Bren and Peter Bren, mm-hmm. and can't remember the other one's name. There was another one. And then Coy Hirsch and Clement Hirsch. Clement Hirsch, yeah. Do you remember Cece and Randy Presley? Yeah. Um, and I went, yeah, because their son, uh, Bo Presley, was in my grade. So one time we were in Durango and Bo came down to live with us and came with armed guards. And so evidently somebody tried to kidnap him or they kidnapped him by mistake. Something crazy happened. And I remember Bo was down there with us, but I didn't know Mo. So his mom, father or grand, I'll mess it up, was Cecil B. DeMille. So that was like Bo's great-grandfather. Is Bo still around? No, he was killed in a car accident um, 30 years ago. Wow. 25 years ago, yeah. Some guy ran a stop sign and... He boned him. Really? Yeah. The guy, when I was 17, my dad died in June. I'd missed a couple months of high school. I had no real interest in going back to that school. It was just, I don't know. I wasn't, it didn't captivate my mind in any way, (laughs) shape, or form. And uh, there was a stuntman named Gary McClarty. And I would go to the motorcycle races with him from time to time. And for some reason, I called him. And uh, he goes, hi. I'm, no, I'm not doing that. I'm, I'm in Chicago. I'm making a movie. Uh, he goes, how old are you? That told him, he goes, are you in school? I go, well, my dad died. I missed the last part. I took the test to get out, you know, whatever that GED thing is. And uh, I don't, I'm not really doing anything right now. He goes, you want to come work for me? And I go, sure. He goes, Okay. Go talk to Scotty at, uh, you know, Monday. I want you at Universal Studios front gate at 8 a.m. Scotty will be waiting for you, and he'll, he'll come out here and work for me. Hmm. So that was on the Blues Brothers. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so I went to Chicago and uh, did stunt work on the Blues Brothers. And then he connected me with a guy back here, named, uh, Gary Jensen, who I worked for for many years doing stunt work on BJ and the Bear, Knight Rider, uh, and then I would get little acting parts on those things eventually and whatever. Then I got a soap, but, but Gary McClarty was also recently killed in a car crash mm. and, you know, a great stunt guy did all sorts of, you know, incredible, uh, new techniques and, you know, car crashes and all this crazy stuff. And, you know, when, when we drove on the street, he didn't drive fast. He's like, you leave a lot of space. You don't care if they pass you. You know, like the more distance between you and the car in front of you, the the sharper you you are, yeah. because that's the only one that'll get you in trouble. The, you know, the guy behind you, you can't do anything about. But don't don't tailgate, don't do the the brush pass. You know, because if anything happens, you've got no escape route. And he drove really conservatively himself, and he was a passenger in a car that made a left turn and got hit. 
mm-hmm. and he was killed. So I, was, I found it ironic that that guy who was super conservative him, himself, like around people where he knew people could get hurt, you know, he'd do anything oh, for a film, uh, died in a car crash. And Chick Iverson's son was also yeah. killed in a car crash yeah. between here and Laguna. I remember that. Yeah. He, he came to our house to pick up Aisa that night. And she wasn't there. Like she didn't go. So I talked to him at the door. And I remember as a kid, I thought he was a pretty cool dude. Yeah. And uh, he's like, okay. He went to a party and Laguna crashed coming back. Any near misses with your life? Hmm. I haven't really seen you in a long time. Well, and, um, we're in eighth grade. <clears throat> we went with... Do you ever know the Binswangers? Yeah. And the Danny Binswanger? Yeah. yeah. And the Coles, Don Cole and, and all them. We went down to um, Baja and we were riding motorcycles down there. And Lindy, who is Don Cole's oldest daughter, and I we were riding. I was driving and we hit a pothole and flew like 25, 30 feet and we both broke our right collarbones oh my god you're kidding me. so we both were super lucky but yeah we both broke our right collar wow i remember uh i always loved motorcycles and so after the blues brothers there was a, a paper called cycle news and in the back there were these little ads you know those little like they're this big little yeah. square ad and it said like uh it was thanksgiving and it was called uh come ride baja with fred chase it's called the Turkey Chase. <laughs> and I was like, I'll go down. It was like 150 bucks, you know. They provided uh, all the hotels and meals. You just had to show up with your bike. And I remember I, I took my motorcycle and I just kind of threw it in. It wasn't like strapped up right away. I threw it in the back of a blazer <laughs> with, the, with the back down. Went down to Tijuana. Tijuana or Rosarita, I can't remember. And we were parking our cars in the bullring. And I pull in there and I just like drug my motorcycle out and it fell. You know, I had my helmet, and these older guys were looking at me like, who is this kid? <laughs> and we tore that place up. I mean, we went so goddamn fast. <laughs> and I stayed friends with, with a bunch of those the guys that were on this trip. And, uh, yeah, those were, like, I didn't care about my health at all. Like, I rode Baja as fast as I could go, never thinking, like, you might get hurt. And on a later trip, uh, maybe a few years later, like the third or fourth trip I did with those guys, one guy, Ron Peck, was he almost died. I mean, it was a rainy day. There was washouts on the road, and we were flying, and he didn't see a washout. And, you know, big open trench. He hit the other side, and then another guy's front fork hit him in the helmet and crushed his face, and his teeth were smashed together, and everything was broken, and... I'm yelling at this one guy. I'm like, you're a doctor? He's like, I'm a developer. <laughs> he wasn't a doctor. We had doctor. to put poor Ron on a piece of wood. And we couldn't get back to the main highway on the road we were on. So we had to go all the way to the coast and then come back. And then another 25 or 30 mile trip to the main highway. We got him to San Ysidro. And he was in there for, um, I think, a, close to a month before they could even move him or do anything. And he's, he's fine. I saw him 10 Jeez. years ago. He lives up in Chico. But... That was the first time I was like, oh, wow, if you get hurt here, yeah, it can be a problem. Now, how'd you get from doing that to doing the foreign films? Um, 
I was getting guest star spots on the shows I was doing stunt work on. And, you know, I I had an agent, this great guy, Steve Stevens. He was like a, a small, like little office, single guy, you know, one guy. And uh, he sent me on an interview. You know, I went back 10 times, I think, and it was for a soap opera. <laughs> so it was a new soap that they were starting called The Bold and the Beautiful. So I did that. It was a two-year contract, and I did it. And they didn't renew my contract, so I was, I was free at that point. And um, I ended up getting another job on another TV series called The New Adam 12, which was like a remake of the old Adam right. 12. And uh, it was me and a guy named Peter Peros, and we made 52 episodes of that television series, and that was on film. It wasn't like the, the soap opera. And that was, you know, on location and at Universal Studios. Great fun, great experience. Loved it. Loved Peter. Loved Bert Aramis, the the producer. Worked with a director named Chuck Bale, who was in the Stuntman, and you know, great pals with Steve McQueen. Just a, it was a great group of guys. Um, but then the soap, they sold it in Europe, and it started from episode one. So I was on it for two years. I did another show for two years two seasons and they're like hey will you go to Italy hmm. the show's starting from episode one will you go over there and introduce it and I just bought this house and I was getting a divorce and I was like yes I will go <laughs> yeah for sure so I went over there and you know I, I'm, I'm in I'm on Arrow whatever it is Italia and I'm in the back row and they still smoked so half the plane is smoking and half the plane is not smoking right. and I'm saturated with nicotine <laughs> by the time I get to Rome. I get off the plane. I remember I had this like kind of a canvas jacket and I was like smelling it uh. and I had to go to a payphone. This was before cell phones. No, in Adam 12, I had a cell phone that was the size of a briefcase. Yeah, I remember right. me and Peter got one and we would share the thing. Um, so I, I'm calling to check in and people are starting to look at me and, you know, I, I'm not famous. <laughs> but by the time I finished that phone call, I had a crowd of people around me and it was the, that soap, they put two episodes together. So they made it an hour and they ran it at night. And I think it's still very popular there to this day. Cool. So, uh, once I finished <laughs> that, the people would say like, Hey, they do Italian, German, Italian, French, Italian, Spanish co-productions. Italian, South America, Venezuelan, Brazil, whatever. There were all these co-productions. And since I was sort of popular in Italy at that time, I would get the Italian side. I would be cast as one of the Italian guys. Oh, cool. And then, you know, <laughs> France would send people over and we'd all speak different languages and try to make this movie. Or, or a lot of them were sort of like six-month-long yeah. shows, like multi-episode shows. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> so I did that until, you know, I bought that boat. I would come back from doing those and I would get an apartment, fix it up and sell it or, you know, buy an airplane and, you know, bring it back and fix it up and sell it. I would always do some kind of project. Yeah. And uh, so I bought that boat and I was going to do that trip. Um, yeah. And then Michael died and, mm -hmm. you know, this turned into be a much, much larger project and we went through family stuff and you know we all came out of it and it's I think everybody's pretty good now but it was a struggle for a while and certainly new territory for me so wow. a learning experience and a growing experience and hmm. it really when it got really bad I just went oh this is like 
This is like getting my college degree in. Yeah. Conflict. <laughs> Conflict resolution or something. Yeah. yeah, I just looked at it that way. And I started doing jujitsu, which is kind of a struggling, a struggle sport. You know? Yeah. We just work on being sort of comfortable in uncomfortable situations. Well, people are trying to kill you. <laughs> mm. It just kind of meshed. And then I got really interested in knowing more about my father and trying to figure out how to do something good for him, you know, because I didn't create John Wayne, you know, he made me, but I, I didn't make him. And so how do we respect him and how do we, how do we serve his fans in a way that they're going to want? So it was, yeah. it was kind of a, a fun experience for me. And it, you know, it brought me back to people like, you know, just sitting here with you, this is all sort of tied to that. But selfishly, I also get something out of it. You know, I also get to remember sure. and get reminded of who he was and how he lived his life and how he handled himself. Because at 17, I could have really used some of that yeah. guidance or leadership from him because uh, I was a wild colt. Like, oh, you know, you're just not that bright at 17. And my mother, bless her heart, she's like, you know, let me know when you're in town. Yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, that's so tough. No, it's all good. It all work, you know, it all works out. Mm. Uh, and so the the John Wayne thing, I think we're finally starting to to be able to do good for him. You know, we, you know, we, I've always said like it, it's all him. Like we've got to figure out how he represented himself and, and try to deliver that. Like they don't like us. They don't like, you know, products or anything. They like him. Yeah. He's on TV. That's what they like. Yeah. What's going to be appropriate, you know, to try to run this business and fund the cancer foundation and, and, you know, do some good for him or with him in an appropriate manner where we don't diminish or make a mistake or, or right. you know, he built this incredible thing. Yeah. Persona, life, legacy, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, then you hand it to somebody who's never focused on it just because we're related and you got to try to do right by it. You know, mm -hmm. so it, Michael had a, a, like a PhD in John Wayne. He knew everything. I watched videos of him, you know, talking to people about it. And I didn't have that. You know, it's thank God that guy hired me on the Blues Brothers and gave me some direction because who knows what would have happened if I did, you know, if I yeah. didn't get that and didn't have some direction or some focus. Uh, it was just, you know, just interesting. Hmm. Uh, and then Michael, you know, was really good at it. And there's, you know, there's all this family stuff. So, you know, Michael and Patrick had a thing and then I got them together. I don't know why I just woke up and I'm like, this has to stop. These guys are too close. We got to get them back together. Then Michael passed and, and, uh, you know, it wasn't like anybody served an apprenticeship to come back and figure mm -hmm. out what to do with John Wayne. I don't know if, if Michael knew, no. you know, it was a licensing company. So you'd, you'd get with somebody and they'd make a product related to John Wayne, but 
I think we can go deeper and, you know, finding Fort Worth and the stockyards and the stockyards are, you know, they're getting redeveloped in a really significant way, uh, but they're keeping it very authentic on the outside. They're just creating all the infrastructure on the inside so that, you know, it's an elevated Western experience, which I haven't seen a lot of since my dad died. Yeah. Like if you went to Aspen or you went to Durango or you went to these places where they were, yeah. you got an elevated experience that wasn't overly embellished or fancy or OC, yeah. what you see today. Uh, and you drove a station wagon, but they ate at a nice place. There was wood, stone, there was leather. Right. It just didn't need a lot of embellishment. Yeah. Uh, if you look at his wardrobe, I always thought, like, I didn't realize how handsome it was, how well put together his wardrobe was. But when you look at it, you go, this is this is where Ralph Lauren came from. You know, this <laughs> yeah, is this right. is classic American male, beautiful colors, a great scarf, wonderful piece of leather, you yeah. know, great pants, beautiful boots. It was, you know, and I realized this wasn't an accident. This was a, this was a master craftsman's tool belt, yeah. and every piece was important. And every piece had a, had a spot. And you better wake up, boy, because you're way behind. <laughs> you know, you got to realize some of this stuff. So, the elevated experience of the stockyards, but then their tagline is "Keep it dusty." So it's. It's delivered in a format that I think is appropriate for John Wayne. It's like the Wild Goose. It's a great boat. Yeah. It's not a, no. a fancy boat, but it's a very comfortable, stylish, right. handsome, functional yeah. uh, uh, boat. And I think the stockyards are, are that. And if you look at the new hotel that, that Craig Cavalier built there, the Drover, it's, it's as comfortable as it can be without going over the top and being ridiculous. Great. And uh, so that tagline, keep it dusty, but they still have Lucchese. They have Stetson. They have Wrangler. They have yeah. King yeah. Ranch. You know, they have H-Bar 3. They have all these <clears throat> terrific retailers, restaurants, accommodations, and experiences coming in there. And they're only about a third of the way done. And so it's a terrific place for him to be. And, and I hope you get to see the exhibit because it's... It's really we got our tickets done. for that. Oh so, really? Yeah. Oh good. Because I saw that you had to make a reservation or something because they were limiting the time. So yeah, we, we we did that for I think like three in the after two or three in the afternoon before the evening event. Oh good. Did you get into the hotel? Yeah yeah. Oh good. Yeah. So you're at the Drover. Yeah. We'll get you tickets for free. Yeah you don't. Oh, I already bought them. Oh okay. We're all good. Thanks. But I but I need to know how do I can I get. Or can I pay somebody to get one more dinner ticket? Just yeah, just because I got I put in three, but so my daughter Kaylee, who you probably don't remember, but you I have I have vague memory of Kaylee. You you like um, entertained her at my father's uh, memorial service, so she was very close to my mom and dad, and so she was I think seven when they when my dad died and um yeah so she was devastated because he was like you know doted on her and and so you guys were out at the Newport Arbor Yacht Club and and uh 
she was walking back and forth looking at the boats and you went out and you were talking to her and she like initially wasn't giving you the time of day and all the of course all the young women that were there go does Kaylee know that she's talking to Ethan Wayne? And I go, Kaylee doesn't know who it is. She doesn't care. She, he was just some guy talking to her. So thank you. You you talked to her when on probably one of her toughest days. I seem to get along best with children. <laughs> like, honestly, I don't know what that is, but kids I can kind of work with. Yeah. I still feel like a kid in but a lot she's, of ways. Yeah, she's going to come. And my youngest son, Jake. Um, so how old are they now? So Kaylee is, uh, next month will be 30, 33. She's 32. Really? Yeah. And uh, Jake was born after my father um, died. But there's a lot of similarity. He's, he'll, he'll say words that my father and your father used to say. Really? And we're like, where'd you get that? He's like, I don't know. It just came out. I, I think there's, there's stuff in your, I think there's some kind of, like you can get the essence of of generations past in you. I don't know what that is. I don't know yeah. if it's cellular DNA or whatever it is, but I think there's a little bit of that in there. Yeah. In all of us. Yeah. Well, I sure didn't get his voice or his size. We had to do <laughs> we had to do recording for the exhibit, and I'm like, I don't know how you can like have this voice introduce you to that. Because yeah. when you hear his, it's just, you know, it's booming. Yeah, it's it was it was crafted for you know fifty years yeah. to get to that place. Yeah, because <laughs> it's funny. Sometimes I can hear like if I yell or something, it sounds a little high pitched to me. If you yeah. listen to his, it's a little high pitched too. Yeah. yeah, which is really strange. Right to me, it's strange, and then later in life, it just got deeper and gravelier, yeah. and, <laughs> and no mistaking that guy when he would call you, Ethan. Ethan. Oh <laughs> shit! What did I do? It was now? actually it was actually pretty fun. Like when I first drank beer, it was just me and him at the house. Yeah, you know, Ais was kind of off on her own. Pollard moved to uh, her own house. Marisa was back and forth, but. She played tennis, and she did a lot more stuff with my mother. And uh, he was so different than I thought he was going to be. You know, he came home, and he knew I'd been drinking beer, and he's looking at me. There was like a, a my bathroom, like <laughs> his bathroom, my bathroom. Like mine was added on, and you had to go through the girls' room or his bathroom to get to my room. There was no direct access to my room. I remember standing in the little bathroom, and I'm looking up at him, and he's looking down at me, and he's like, Go to sleep. We'll talk in the morning. Like, you know, he just—he's just like oh, I'm not even dealing with this right now. It was uh, good. Uh, we have a, um, a a partner in the exhibit in uh, in Texas, and this guy Patrick Gotch is a terrific guy. And we'd been trying to figure out ways to work together for a couple of years. Hmm. He has a RFD TV and the Cowboy Channel. Which are two nice. sort of rural, uh, well, RFD TV is like rural farm mm. sort of television. You can look it up. It's on, on all the, the satellites and stuff. And the Cowboy Channel self-explanatory. And the Cowboy Channel has just gotten all the pro rodeo content. So they, you know, they constantly stream rodeos right up through the national finals rodeo. 
and there's a chicken fried steak place in the stockyards and, and he's the one who said he saw us do a little pop-up exhibit and he said you got to come to the stockyards i want to introduce you to craig i think this is something we can do together and i think this is the right place and the the buildings that craig redid are enormous brick buildings that they used to put the livestock in so they were mm -hmm. enclosed but they were still dirt inside and so he had to go in and you know it was it was quite a pr project to, to keep the outside the way it was but fix right. up the inside and the streets are all brick and it's it's a cool historical ah. feel that you get there but they've made it beautiful i'm looking forward to it uh, uh, but where was I going with this? Uh, oh, he took me up to a chicken fried steak place up yeah. the street that's been there. It's called Horseshoe Hill and they do chicken fried steak. And I'd forgotten, you know, until I had that first bite and it just, <clears throat> something me and my dad used to make at home. Yeah. We'd make chicken fried steak together. Oh, and so that flavor, you know, it's just crazy how little things will open up a, yeah. a doorway to, uh, memories or the past. Wow. Yeah. Tommy, thank you. Thank, thank you, you for coming up. No, thank you for my, sharing all those memories. My honor. <laughs> Making the drive, bringing the artifacts. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to the John Wayne Gritcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you like what you heard, give us five stars in the Apple Podcast app and follow us on social media at John Wayne Official. Slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go.